I think this perma crisis and uh, it's something that people are getting used to and it means that people are adapting, but the financial markets and because it's also sector based, right? There are industries that are going to, are doing quite well. There are other ones that have been significantly hit. We look at technology, for example, all of that has lent itself to, I think what we're entering now is an era of complete uncertainty. Consumers wouldn't care if brands were to go away tomorrow, but they also, they also then note that trust is huge and, and, um, people do want to trust. They do want to believe in brands, but they need more than just lip service. You're listening to All Things Content from Avenue CX, delivering you cutting-edge insights into the past, present, and future of all topics related to content. Here's your host, Kevin Nichols. Hi, all. I am Kevin P. Nichols, and this is All Things Content with me, Kevin P. Nichols. Uh, This is the show where I, Kevin P. Nichols, talk, uh, interview my fellow colleagues to talk all things content, whether it's about film codes, whether it's about technical writing, whether it's about augmented reality, whether it's I am not Kevin Nichols, I am not him. I am impersonating him. I am actually Mark Urell, the sales and marketing manager at Avenue CX. Uh, I am and also the producer of this fine podcast. Uh, Kevin wanted to do something a little different today instead of the uh, usual host and him hosting. Uh, he wanted to be actually the interviewee for this episode. So he called me in to take over for host. Kevin, how am I doing so far? You're doing great. You, you, do, you do me better than I do me. So. <laughs> <laughs> On a podcast, maybe as leading Avenue CX, I don't know. I'm not as confident in that. But uh, to follow in the tradition of past guests, we will be uh, will be introducing you with a quick bio, if that's all right. Absolutely. Kevin, I have Kevin. not heard this, by the way. So. Oh, you have? Okay. No. Well, uh, <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I'm guessing you'll be very unfamiliar with the contents of this bio. Uh, Kevin is an award-winning thought leader, digital industry expert, and author with more than 25 years of experience in digital strategy, user experience, and content. He was a key contributor to creating MIT OpenCourseWare, uh, which is, if you don't know, is a long catalog of classes that are for free to the public that MIT hosts. So thank you for that, Kevin. Uh, he also grew one of the largest content strategy teams in the world at Sapien Nitro, which is now Publius Nitro, if you're trying to tag them on social media, like I've been trying to do for the past couple <laughs> of years. Uh, and has worked on content for dozens of global brands. At Avenue CX, Kevin continues pursuing his passion for content, con- working with international enterprises to improve their overall content and customer experiences. His dedication to this field is exemplified through the writing of his book, Enterprise Content Strategy, a project guide and co-authoring the UX for uh, Dummies, the book UX for Dummies. Besides being the host of this podcast, Kevin also hosts the webinar series, Let's Talk Personalization, produced by the Content Wrangler, uh, which is owned by the famous Scott Abel, who was a guest on our last show, and also leading conversa- uh, where he leads conversations on the latest trends in personalizing content. In addition to writing books and hosting videos, Kevin supports his colleagues by serving the, as the chair of the Content Strategy Alliance's Best Practices Initiative. I'm thrilled to be interviewing my boss, mentor, and friend, Kevin Nichols. How did I do? You did excellent. Right. <laughs> and thank you. I'm very like humbled by that. Wow. <laughs> so I didn't miss anything. We're, uh, 
Anything you want to add to that? Uh, I, I'm <clears throat> releasing the second edition of my book sometime this year, so stay tuned for that. And that's Enterprise Content Strategy. It's not UX for Dummies, which I co-authored with Donald Chestnut, although who knows if that'll be released at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'd love a second edition for that. Is the U, is the Dummies, because I grew up seeing, you know, the X for Dummies. Like, that's how uh, my dad tried to get me into web dev growing up. Uh, he was unsuccessful because I was lazy, but I love those books going out. Are they still going? Or they, have they oh, yeah, reached out yeah. to you for Chad a second? Yeah, Wiley Sons uh, still produces that. And it actually, it's like in India and uh, Asia, it seems to be selling really well. So, I mean. Awesome. Wait, your book specifically or the whole brand? No, the book on UX for dummies, user experience awesome. for dummies. So. Well, maybe we've got to get you a, a guest on some podcast in uh, India and Asia sometime soon. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll talk to your producer about that. Hopefully his lazy butt will get into gear. But anyway, let's dive right into the meat of the conversation. So large th seem theme of the episode is general trends and content trends and personalization for this year yes. uh given with all craziness of this year with oh my God. You know, the last couple of years at least you uh, not just this year but the last couple of years or even longer back if you want to get into it but uh 2020 since then uh we've talked a lot of you've talked a lot on the podcast and also in the company about how so many different changes to our industry and all industries um have been caused by not only by uh, primarily COVID-19, but all these different cultural uh, changes that have happened since 2020. Mm -hmm. So first question, uh, I'm curious to see if you have any insights on how fears of potential market corrections or recessions in 2023 will influence content decisions. Oof. Uh, yes. Well, I can tell you that based on all of the stuff that I've read recently, and I do a lot of indexing of customers and consumer insights, it's at the top of the mind of all uh, all customer and consumers out there. Like people in general, report after report, uh, specifically call out the financial, uh, the pending financial crisis, financial crisis, depending on what sector you're in, mm -hmm. and or recession is at the top of everybody's mind. And it's also conflated with the fact that we still continue to have all these issues. Um, there's a great uh, report by Accenture Live Trends 2023, highly advise it. But they talk about this notion of permacrisis. <laughs> they start mm -hmm. off with like, it's now in Collins Dictionary as an actual term. Oh, really? Um, yes. I mean, the fact that we're just doing this show, you and me, and it's it's June, and we would slated it for January, is kind of speaks to that because... Um, you know, this year I had listeria, I had COVID, I had another flu, but like it just went on and on. I turned 50, mm -hmm. I went to New York City. And um, one of the things that I noticed there was restaurants were starting to come back, but they weren't anywhere. Like I didn't need reservations for brunch on a Saturday, folks, in New York City. Yes, granted, it was January, but like still. Um, and we went, I mean, I, because I was sick before, um, and then I got listeria on the trip. Don't ask. It was my luck and these things. Um, but I um, I got Gotham because I love that. I absolutely love that restaurant. And I made the reservation the week of for a Friday night. And it was totally like able to do that. Um, so um, <clears throat> we went down to see a play, The Piano Lesson, which I highly recommend if folks get a chance to see it. It was incredible. But mm -hmm. anyways, back to like what I was saying in terms of things that I was noticing, um, even in New York, um, 
people, if you were listening or overhearing conversations, everybody was talking about the financial crisis. And they were also talking about just sort of the fact that 2022 had ended and it was such a hellish year for them. I mean, myself included. I mean, if I could throw that fish back, uh, you know, if uh, Martina Navratilova had a quote years ago, she said, if this year were a fish and I caught it, I'd throw it back. And that's what I have to say about 2022. But um, I think this perma crisis and uh, it's something that people are getting used to. Mm-hmm. And it means that people are adapting. Well, there's a whole series of cycles that you go through when you're dealing with crises, but a lot of people can adapt, but the financial markets, and because it's also sector-based, right? Like there are markets in the, in, in, um, there are industries that are going to, are doing quite well. There are other ones that have been significantly hit. We look at technology, for example. Um, and this is conflated also with the supply chain management issues. You've got microchips, still a huge issue in, um, mm-hmm. in t- technology. You have, you know, tar- like the tar- tariffs is still impacted, you know, b- by like those decisions that were made like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you have all the supply chain management issues that got illuminated during COVID um, and the shelter in place. And supply and demand, you know, people weren't buying these things. So they stopped producing as much. That's what's going on in the energy sector, by the way, with fuel. Um, And all of that has lent itself to, I think what we're entering now is an era of complete uncertainty and the sort of ability to think that everything, like there's crises all around us. We're just kind of like moving through the motions. Mm -hmm. It brands that really want to thrive in all this have us, uh, media does its meaningful brand index and they're the ones that come out that like, I think it's now 73%. I I forget the number, but consumers wouldn't care if brands were to go away tomorrow, but they also, they also then note that trust is huge and, and um, people do want to trust. They do want to believe in brands, but they need more than just lip service. And so it's really about the ability for brands to build trust through action, through showing value and through showing that they actually care about helping a customer achieve his or her need and and uh, that it's not just about the sale and that it's not mm-hmm. just about looking at it as a transactional uh, part of the relationship. And I think what we're finding is that if you were to look at trends of what themes are for content right now, it's anything that's self-service. It's anything that's loyalty. It's anything. So looking at the existing customer bases and making uh, decisions to invest in content that's going to continue to support that. Technical documents are huge right now. Um, community platforms are huge right now. These things are very important because they are taking a customer and they're providing him, her, they with information that that customer needs in order to support a product, in order to use a product, in order to enable a product, in order to adopt a product, et cetera, et cetera. And if you look at cross-sales strategies or upsell strategies, they're all looking at how they can use the existing customer relationship and services and platforms that that those customers use to also build upsell or cross-sell. They're also moving beyond this sort of trend of, or some of them are, case deflection became huge in support. And case deflection was all about getting customer call centers, uh, to, to fewer calls to the customer call center. So being able to offer self-service content that was online that was digital. Now, this was big during COVID-19 because, you know, customer call centers weren't necessarily staffed. And then if they were, they were all remote, like people were all remote, like if they had those technologies in place. And a lot of content went into the cloud. So during one of the things that happened 
was a lot of big companies put their content and a lot of their services into the cloud and software as a service became really big. Um, <clears throat> the notion of customers being able to do everything that they needed online was really, really big. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, uh, not in part, I mean, there, there's been a case deflection kind of thing for going on for <laughs> decades uh, for customer call centers. But because of that, the content that's going to embrace that customer relationship of, of helping to support them and, and figure out things became huge. Mm -hmm. Now, this conflates with the fact that a lot of uh, like clients that we're seeing, for example, they might have like a, what's called a federated search that overlays their digital ecosystem. And what that essentially does is it, um, it overlays the digital ecosystem and it allows you to pull documents from all these different uh, systems. Mm -hmm. um, so if somebody goes into support and they search for something that's going to help support them, documents that live in the support database, but also the website and maybe like the community platform or the technical documentation, they yeah. all get pulled into these federated searches. And the whole idea is, is that by looking at thing, content across the ecosystem, you're able to deliver the most effective content. Problem with that is, is the content wasn't cleaned in a lot of these cases. It wasn't structured. Mm. It wasn't tagged appropriately. And when right. you have that dynamic and you try to lay either machine learning or sort of federated or um, <clears throat> enterprise solutions on top of it, you end up with a big mess. And what a lot of these organizations found was <laughs> that it, and they didn't have the data to track. So for example, they might have a data in one platform to track what a customer does, but it wasn't connected to the other platform. So they could say, here's where there's attrition. Here's where somebody's dropping off and making a call to customer support center. They couldn't look at that whole customer journey and then figure out, okay, this is why they're doing it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm coming back to your original question, by the way, but this is an example of why a lot of businesses are now also thinking that the relationship of a human person on that other side of the line is also, it's not just looking at the cost saved by reducing uh, calls to a call center. It's also mm -hmm. looking at the cost incurred by not having that in place when and if it's necessary. And by putting so many gates, you know, where you have to, go through all the automation again and again before you get anyone, mm -hmm. why, why that can cause, you know, customer churn as well. So where I'm going with all this is the financial markets being uncertain is commingled with everything being uncertain. Uh, Trend mm -hmm. Hunter noted in their most recent report, I'm going to write this, read this because I think it's, 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 it succinctly embraces everything. We're embracing a world of faster pace change, political and media polarity, supply chain woes, inflation, debt, and geopolitical, geopolitical conflict. You know, if you look at Ukraine and you look at all, all that's going on you know, there. Um, so this sort of permacrisis that we are founding ourselves in, the, the, the financial markets in and of itself would be a huge deal. Um, but all this other stuff, it's just creating such a crisis mindset and adoption to that. And again, and I'm going to talk about this, brands that are going to thrive are ones that are going to offer customers things that they actually need um, and doing it in a meaningful way. And then we're going to talk later about this, but just also brands that prove that they're meaningful above and beyond just the product or service that they're offering or just mm -hmm. the bottom line for their business. Um, that is key. And we're going to talk more about that. I know I kind of, uh, but yes, the financial markets, um, huge. 
uh, you're going to see a lot more focus on, um, <clears throat> you know, Gen Z, for example, they're doing a lot more targeting for financial investment tools and how to appeal to them. And there's a lot more uh, focus on education of people of, you know, budgets and all that. Like we went during shelter in place where people weren't spending as much money and also saving more to now facing this and, and it's, mm -hmm. and, and nobody knows when it's going to end. Yeah, no, and like you just hit on so many different things. I'm just trying to figure out which which direction <laughs> I want to focus in on because you like one thing you hit on is about everything going to the cloud. It's something you've you've talked about. It. I mean, honestly, since I think I joined the company and different podcasts and interviews you were on about how you know, not only has like customer service gotten the cloud and turned into content, but also supply chains, supply chain um, management, and supply chains in general. Yes. Yeah, and like even the whole like. And it's it's and now that we're seeing that shelter in place is going like going away, we're still seeing like a hybridization model. Um, you know, we we're, were talking about I forget the exact guess, but um, you were talking about how try in stores is like going in, uh, going to the stores new like try on um, instead of just oh. having you know, yeah, it's huge, I mean, huge brick and mortar people are making a huge comeback, and it's in all. Mm -hmm. It's in all the different segments and demographics that have been surveyed, including age groups. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the key. I read like, I forget which report. I mean, it's been in several, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, Adobe did an omni-channel report for 2023. It's well worth the read. And the first finding is brick and mortar make a comeback. It is absolutely true. Um, there's a lot of things that are also facilitating that one is people had to order everything online during stay at home and shelter in place and they didn't always get what they wanted and it wasn't right. the quality and they couldn't see it and touch it and interact with it and by the way i think 70 percent of consumers say that that's the biggest reason they want to go into the in-stores but the other thing was just this loss of community and this feeling of loss of of uh especially for like those of us that are extroverts like myself it was like this alienation, you know, mm -hmm. and so consumers are cre like craving connectedness. And that also comes from being in a store. Um, so, and I'm really happy because I love brick and mortar. And I, I always thought, you know, the trends that Amazon is going to, you know, come in and replace everything. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, 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 we want our downtowns. We want our local bookstores. We want right. our local markets. And, um, by the way, I always say there's a fresh place in hell for people who uh, have a local bookstore and don't do the reverse window shopping, going to Amazon, finding the book, and then going to your local bookstore because <laughs> we've got to support them. They need our support. Mm -hmm. I get all of mine through Mashpee uh, <clears throat> Market Bookstore and you know, even um, ones that I could order on Amazon, I always go to her first. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but brick and mortar making a huge comeback, yes. Yeah, and like that makes me happy too. And I, I kind of uh, recent experience kind of ties in both the uh, the new help content with the brick and mortar experience we were just talking about. Because uh, as you know, I just moved into a new place, so that means I was going to Home Depot and like buying all these things, buying going to Home Depot and other places to furnish the place. And uh, I was running this issue with uh, transporting this fridge I bought from Home Depot. Uh, and you know, you can either buy it online or buy it in store. But when I was trying to figure out how the transportation worked, I was getting when I go to the help content online. Well, in store, they told me the the salesman told me they can't bring it up to uh, up uh, more than the first floor. Then I go online and they tell me the exact the exact opposite, and they can go up, up on the store 
Um, then I go to the customer service desk when I'm there again and I ask, and they call like certain helpline to double check and turns out, okay, if you get it straight from the warehouse, they can bring it to the second floor. But if you get it directly from the store, they have to drop it off because of liability reasons. So it just, it, I think that one uh, specific example kind of just shows, you know, the, the benefits and the limitations of both, you know, in-person help content and like, well, in-person help and help content because help content can save so much money for an enterprise and can even be more um, beneficial to a consumer than an actual rep. But sometimes there's certain, like in terms of like question, like if you have certain questions, if uh, you know, if the chat bots can't answer, if you're on a website with a chat bot or if you're, the, the person, the, the comp content just doesn't have access to certain information and or vice versa, where the, the rep doesn't have access to certain information. Well, at least the rep can go find that information, whereas the help content, you need to wait for, you know, somebody to update it uh, with proper info. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's a little aside with what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, going back yes. into the financial markets, um, <laughs> I didn't know that. Goes back to financial markets. Yes, <laughs> every, everything goes back to financial markets. And since you were also talking about um, some white papers, there was one. Forrester made its predictions for 2023. Uh, so one of their predictions is that the, uh, companies are going to sh- chase for short-term revenue growth at the cost of long-term brand building. So C-suite executive CEOs are going to um, hire CMOs um, with uh, looking to try to score quick wins, uh, short-term, yes. you know, financial bumps, uh, while potentially messing up long-term gains. So what, what's your opinion on that? It's going to happen, but it's the amateur hour of dealing with financial crises. And we see it again and again, and people don't get this. Um that same report, I believe, talks about CX and it talks about uh, customer experience and mm-hmm. chief customer experience officers. And the biggest issue around customer experience teams is a lacking of talent. And I think that they talk about um, survey design, uh, experience design, but they also talk about in data and analytics and the ability to uh, think through like kind of the marketing science things, as well as a, a lack of storytelling. And finally, mm-hmm. customer journey uh, modeling and mapping skills. So yeah. a lack of these skill sets and customer experience are leading customer experience teams to falter or flounder in a lot of companies, but not all. Ones that do have that talent set or are learning to adopt by growing people in those areas in their company and making investments in it are seeing huge returns. Um, and the reason I bring up customer experience is because I believe it was Forrester a couple years back predicted that CX was going to overtake marketing budgets, which they did. Um, and that marketing would take a second seat. And now it seems like a lot of places the marketing is now taking, you know, and I'm not, I'm I'm not about creating polarization between the two. I think there needs, you know, there's silos, but you got to vent those silos. Right. And Mm -hmm. we want the healthy ventilation and collaboration. Um, but there needs to be, it doesn't mean the customer experience uh, efforts didn't fail because the solutions that they were developing, uh, were at fault. They failed because they didn't have the resourcing in place to support a robust customer experience operational Mm -hmm. model within the organization. So 
if you had that in these more mature companies that get that, you're not going to see as much of a knee-jerk reaction to that quick win of short-term revenue um, approaches. I mean, obviously, if a company absolutely has to, because we're seeing like, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond, unfortunately, just, um, you know, had its... uh, um, you know, just uh, is going on. I mean, there's companies out there that are faltering, right? Are they closing all world, uh, nationwide? Yes, that's what I've, yes. Okay, there, yeah, there's one nearby here that's been closing up. So I didn't know if it was just a I mean, store. If you absolutely have to, fine, short term, but like for the longer term and in, in, in companies that are getting this, there are technology in the, the CTOs seem to be getting that they need to invest in customer experience technologies. Mm-hmm. And so some of the trends that we're seeing this this year are personalization, you know, it's like algorithm-based personalization, first-party data personalization, granted cookies and creep personalization, not so much. But like, if you look at where personalization is coming up in all the indexes as being really important, and especially when it's done right, customers don't mind giving up information to companies that they feel like their privacy is being respected and they're getting value out of it because you're getting back relevant-based information. Accenture Life Trends had that report where they came out with personalization and omnichannel making huge reemergences uh, this year. And I think that's the case. And I think brick and mortar, again, the case that, you know, um, that, that that is making a huge uh, uh, like and, and thankfully that, that, that that's coming back. Supporting local business versus online shopping is another thing that I think Adobe's Omnichannel 2023 report notes. Um, and, and we're seeing that. Um, and by the way, when I say omnichannel, the, the core foundational things that you're going to need are things like um, online purchase, uh, pick up in store, in-store purchase, have delivered to the home, like integrated product inventory so you can do these things uh, throughout the supply chain um, is, is important there. The single view of the customer, and you know, they go to one platform, they go to another, they hop onto another, equally important. And that, by the way, folks, requires an enterprise content strategy in order to help enable those things. But yes, those are very important. Um, That's your plug to hire us for any any potential clients yes. listening to us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, and we've been doing that work. And we see when we do that kind of work, when a company comes in and says, we want an enterprise content strategy because we want to understand the redundant, outdated, trivial content across the platforms. We want a unified content experience. We want content types that are going to be repurposed and reused. But when the customer goes from one system to another system, we want there to be, uh, we want there to be more of a seamless uh, experience. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just enough to have single sign-on. You've got to also have really good, robust content that's structured and that is tagged and that is clean. You know, uh, you got to get rid of redundant, outdated, trivial content. We call it rot, um, <clears throat> et cetera. We content strategists call it rot, not we Avenue CX, although we call it that too. Um, <laughs> so um, you, I think you were going to also probably want to know just in terms of trends, and I've talked about a lot. So omni-channel making a comeback, personalization making a comeback, permacrises, um, other things that we're seeing, um, you know, Havas Media, I love them so much. Uh, they wrote this report, I think it's called Art of Togetherness, uh, Reality Check 2023. The notion of community and the importance of community um, is so important. And I think that mm-hmm. that is driving a lot of people. Um, was it trends? Uh, 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 is it trendsetter? Is that the one I'm thinking of? They talk a lot about um, trend hunter. I'm sorry. Um, they talk a lot about 
the drivers that if you can get the trend hunter 2023 report do it because it gives you so much information on uh people's motivations and what's driving them to what and uh they they make predictions on parenting apps and they're going to be the importance of that for example or Mm -hmm. um but all of it is being driven a lot by the sense of people wanting community and whether that's developing technologies in the metaverse or you know what uh you know, creating brands that are getting more invested in the community and then bringing folks in through, you know, community outreach programs, whatever it is, it's so important for people right now to feel part of a community and to feel part of something. And that is, I think, a hope, you know, that can can help people advance in, 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 in light of all of this negativity, mm-hmm. the cynicism, uh, these things that we're feeling. By the way, Margot Bloomstein, to put a plug in for her, she... Uh, and I worked together way back in the day, early 2000s at Sapient. Mm-hmm. Um, she released a book called Trustworthy. Um, yep. And it is such a good book. I like. I don't know if I have it here, but if I had it hold up, you would see that it's pretty much <laughs> looks like a book I've had for 20 years because it's got like all these post-it notes and other things in it. But that book really talks about the value of, of, and how to create a trustworthy brand. And mm-hmm. she has so many case studies from the FBI to, to um, she, you know, she talks about, um, why am I blinking on the clothing store that used to be in malls that had the whole experience tied to it. And she goes all the way back and interviews about oh, their original wow. catalog. Um, they got it bought wasn't out. wasn't Victoria's by, Secret, right? No, they got bought out by Gap Company. Anyway, I'll come back to that. But mm-hmm. she has so many great uh, case uh, studies. And she talks about the, the importance of voice and tone, the importance of, of creating a voice and tone that not only resonates, but speaks truthfully and honestly. And she talks about taking crises and using that to your advantage. And she talks about the, the importance of vulnerability, brands being vulnerable. These things are all also coming out in things like Havas Media. And in their Art of Togetherness report, they talk about, you know, you've got to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to telling customers that you're doing something above and beyond just selling. So for example, the whole greenwashing thing, and if you mm-hmm. ever get a chance, uh, Economist had a great article on this whole greenwashing DIE efforts, I don't know, earlier last year, I want to say. Um, they got a lot of flack for it, but it was actually a pretty good analysis as to companies that were not, they didn't say that they're they're, they're bad, by the way. They said a lot of companies are just using that as a branding technique and it's you know, when you get people in the energy sector getting like five stars across the board, and I mean the traditional energy sector, you got to go, hmm, why, you know, what, what's going on here? Who's funding this? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the DIE thing to me and the, and the greenwashing can be um, mitigated uh, by taking a four-pronged approach. If you're going to be doing this, and everybody should, you, and I've talked about this in content strategies for this type of thing, but you've got to have a content strategy and you've got to have a, a also a operational program business strategy that's going to support how you are showing meaning to your employees. First of all, you know, what, what happens at home needs to also then get extended, but you've, you can't throw rocks from glass houses of whatever the expression is. Um, you, you, you need to start with your own company and show how you're creating a culture and environment that rewards its customers, its employees and doesn't, and sees them the sum, the sum of your people as the whole of, of, of your company. Right. Um, and, and, and each individual person is a contributor there. So starting there, uh, meaning you, you create a meaning for your, your, your employees. Secondly, your local communities, um, 
So, and, and that's extending out to where if you have a presence in a lot of communities, showing people how within the community in which they live, uh, that customer, uh, for example, how you're putting money back into that community or resources or time or making uh, that community better. So first company, then community, then to the consumer. So for example, um, how are you helping the customer, you know, above and beyond? And this is where technical documentation and support and help and all that kind of content come into play, but it's not the only thing. Um, And then finally, to the greater world around you. Uh, so, for example, your environment, like how you're sourcing your materials, uh, are, are they, is it more green? Is it more, less of a, a footprint to the, to the, uh, you know, environmental uh, dangers? Um, so your carbon footprint, like what is that like? Like, um, that, and that's just an example, but to the large world around you. So it's uh, internally, it's to the community, it's to the customer, him, her, their, their self. And then finally, to the larger world around you, you have to have a four-pronged approach if you're going to be doing uh, kind of DEI and meaningful uh, types of experiences. And then your new content, you've got to tell those stories, but tell those stories in an authentic way. And they better mm-hmm. be backed up with with reality and not sugar-coated or whitewashed or uh, greenwashed. As they, say. they better not be uh, fictitious or uh, messaged uh, with a lot of BS. It's got to be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, if you want to see the, um, if you want to hear more about Margaret Bloomstein's uh, book on trust, uh, Kevin actually had her on a recent episode of uh, Let's Talk Personalization. Oh so yeah, she's I, great. Yeah, was, that was a good interview. So, uh, <laughs> and Margot, if you're listening, I want to interview you for my podcast too because yes. it's just such. I cannot say enough about that book. I love that book. <laughs> we'll link that. Uh, we'll link that one in the description uh, when we upload this. Um, and Margot's yeah, a lovely person. I mean, she's such an amazing person. She's optimistic. She's positive. She has such great energy. Hire her if you're looking for somebody as a content strategist can help advise you on building trustworthiness. You know, for your brand. <clears throat> and that sounds like a trustworthy ringing endorsement. Um, but getting back into, um, so you, you hit on for a little bit on uh, how communities. So I also read the Accenture Life Trends uh, for 2023, and I really liked that. Um, really liked that uh, that that white paper. Um, not only because it had some really nice AI generated art, but it had some very interesting just insights into you know, the current world and moving forward. And one of them you hit on was the focus on smaller communities. Uh, one, they talked about how these macro influencers, these large influencers are now being, you know, changed up for micro influencers and niche communities to specific, um, to specific interests. Um, you know, the, the word they use is community first product later models. Um, do you see, so uh, to, I'm going to skip a little ahead in some of the questions and, um, you know, talk about, you know, you hit on the metaverse, Web3. Um, right. What do you think as a personalization and content specialist, what is your thoughts of Web3, uh, um, you know, from that perspective? The jury is still out. Um, mm-hmm. It's McKinsey, right, that has that whole library on um Metaverse. I want to say McKinsey yep. does. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of, I have them, Tons I have them of right articles. here. I can't, I would recommend that if you're interested in this topic, because they break it down at a variety of different levels. Um, 
you know, I definitely am not a cynic to thinking that it's like, you know, you ask some people and they're like, it's like second story. And for those of you old enough to remember that, you remember how that was going to be like the end all be all things. Um, it's, it's, it's got its sticky staying power for sure. Um, I think that everything that I've read for 2023 has suggested a lot of businesses and rightly so are kind of taking this wait and see, unless it's something like if you're in the gaming industry or if you're in like other industries where you can really leverage that education is another one that you're going to see a huge mm-hmm. leverage of, of, of the metaverse on. Um, I think I am still of the notion that you don't want to be a late adopter, but at the same point in time, I'm kind of seeing where this all plays out. Where Which industries is it going to have the most benefit and how can people use it effectively to either become more efficient, more effective in their jobs, uh, in their lives? Like, you know, so, I mean, it's clearly being considered by some of the top companies out there and even embraced. Um, but I'm kind of of the wait and see mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, McKinsey has some amazing research and not only the trends, but it's actual applications and how to think through using it. And I'm not going to do it justice if I try to uh, even paraphrase, because I mean, I'm telling you, they have like, I don't know, 20 reports that, you know, on this, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Web3 is another like, which is, braces the metaverse but also sort of immersive content and whatnot um we had a fascinating show on speculative design with heather snyder and what she did was she took like um she worked with a uh person i want to say his name is marcel i'm forgetting his name marcel um she worked with somebody and they did this uh augmented reality app where you go into the sackler uh division of the met and you hold up your iPhone and it tells the story of my this girl who overdosed of, of heroin as you're holding it up to the various artifacts they procured. And um, we did a, a, I did a show with her. It's it's in the library of the podcast. You should listen to it if you haven't, because it's a great show. But she talks about speculative design and using that tool to sort of design for the future. And, and basically you imagine... Uh, what the future should be, and then you design to that. And I think that that's going to be a useful type of approach and methodology for metaverse and really looking at the sort of innovative and the possibilities and the promise that it holds. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm still of the sort of wait and see and like, you know, I'm I'm of that mindset with that. Mm. Yeah, no, and yeah, I fluctuated. I'm more leaning on against it too, but like when you're talking about uh, the McKinsey reports, like definitely viewers listen to this, check it out. They break it. They, they make a good argument for both sides. Uh, and some of the data points are pretty interesting. I mean, the fact that it's the devices to do it on specifically, um, VR enabled headsets, um, they're going across the, um, the general adoption curve for all types of technologies. And they're getting cheap, so it means it's getting cheaper. There's more units being sold. There's much more content on there, especially in terms of games. Um, so we'll wait and see. Um, but hopefully, you know, we'll find a way to integrate it better into our current business models. Yeah, I'm very excited to see where this is heading. And I definitely think there's a place for it and it's got staying power. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a couple of other trends I just wanted to hit on. There's so much interesting stuff going on. Uh, Marigold's report had had brought up the fact, and other people have noted this. You know, the number one thing driving sales right now in the last year is 
email folks email mm. so having a good email campaign and <clears throat> again getting into that larger omni-channel and uh multi-channel content strategy you want to think about how you can create consistent uh not just messaging across the platforms but being able to do like a cross-channel customer journey and then looking at what customers are doing in each of the platforms and optimizing content to those channels it's key um <clears throat> and one thing about the margots report that i I like is that um, it points out things that may be surprising um, to a lot of folks, you know, because how many companies are out there like investing in their email campaigns the way that they should be? Um, and print is making a big comeback too, by the way. Um, <clears throat> I've always said, you know, it's a huge, oftentimes underused, um, important channel to, to, to account for. Uh, especially in an omnichannel strategy. Um, I'm trying to think what else did I want to bring up that I think is um, blockchain. Obviously, that's a huge topic. Creativity, mm -hmm. creativity. This is something, and this is referenced in multiple indexes. Um, like, I would say that companies are lacking creativity in terms of it being a deficit for resources that they have. They don't like they're craving a comeback to that. And a lot of folks are talking about AI and a response to machine learning, that creativity, that human lens of creativity, not the AI going out there and generating art pieces, <laughs> you know, to right. write from other artists. Um, the, the human element of creativity is, is people are craving it. Um, again, I think that human touch, whether it's collaboration, um, humans are craving joy. And who came, who was, that was a, re a report. Um, Joy, uh, happiness. Oh, Dinzu, Dinzu's creative uh, trends. Um, they cite, I believe, it's Seven Eleven and the Big Gulp and sort of the Seven Eleven campaign to just bring back the simple things in life. You know, um, bringing joy into that to, to, to the customer experience. It's it's huge. So, in terms of building trust, you know, things like joy, things like authenticity, and meaningful. Um, actions, uh, things like, you know, and Margot trusts about, you know, talks about this, like brands showing that they're not afraid to be vulnerable, but they're real, you know, to the customers. Um, all of these, I think, are big things to think about in, in 2023 and beyond. It's no longer just a matter of marketing messaging that is based on tell real stories, tell true stories, tell authentic stories and mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> ones that your customers can relate to, but ones that your customers can trust, you know, look at Edelman's trust index sometime and see yeah. <laughs> the importance of trust, you know, yeah. um, it's huge. Um, but I digress. So, um, <laughs> well, did you, uh, Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna move on to the next question, but sure, you sure. no, 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 go ahead. Well, yeah. So I speaking about the personal touch, um, and, having that personal connection as a personalization expert, um, what do you see the uh, current tr and future trends for 2023 in personalization? Huge. And companies are taking it seriously. It's funny because right before uh, the, I put this in the first chapter of my book, there's two things. One, Wall Street Journal did a content audit and they shelved it, which is a very interesting thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to come back to that in a second. But, but second, yeah, I love, I love that story. Um, <laughs> The second thing is um, the, uh, I said, oh, I, I, oh, 
uh, I want to say Gartner came out with this study and they said that by 2026, most brands that have adopted uh, personalization are going to be uh, getting rid of it. And they cited the fact that operationally, they're not set up to support it. They're not getting returns on investment that they saw. Really? They're not able to like deliver it. Now, this report came out and then in Jan, like I want to say it came out in maybe December or January of, mm-hmm. of when COVID hit. And that report got shelved, kind of just like the content <laughs> audit of the Wall Street Journal. Wait, uh, wait, so what what year well, did they say again? By say? 2026, I want to say. Maybe it would have been 2025 if I'm getting this wrong. And by the way, this was actually, the report itself had really good information about why. Okay. But what we've seen is COVID-19 put a focus on operations. Content operations, mm-hmm. by the way, is still a buzzword that is huge and very and, and, and very uh, deserving of that. Um but operations to support uh, things like personalization became even more important. So like one of the biggest problems was brands lacked, many of them lacked a personalization strategy or the personalization strategy was amateur hour at best. So they would say, we're going to use personalization to increase engagement of, and I'm guilty of you know, <laughs> doing this earlier on, you know, engagement of our website. Well, if you serve up more relevant content, of course, it's going to be engaging the website. You need to take your business goals and objectives, your content strategy goals and objectives, and you need to figure out how, with the personalization strategy, how it's going to help enable those, right? How it's going to help do things that are more strategically focused on the business and, and, and the customer. And <clears throat> so if you get the strategy in place, then you need the content to support it. And personalization does take, uh, you have to have that content to support it. You, need, you should do a content inventory and audit before you roll out personalization. Um, I just talked to Paul Land about this, who came out with a new book this week called Content Inventories and Audits, second mm-hmm. edition. I forward it. I can't recommend it enough because um, she talks about the audit mindset and how you build content auditing into your performance strategy of of content, of, of evolving your content, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that you continually look at it. I mean, first you get rid of the 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 redundant, the, the outdated, the trivial content, but then you um, stand it up. Um, with this ongoing auditing. Mm-hmm. And personalization is here to stay. Uh, but do it with first party data, move away from the cookie based stuff. Thank mm-hmm. you, Google, for not like rolling that out yet. I'm being uh, sarcastic, by the way. Um, <clears throat> do it by um, also AI, you know, but if that's got to be. That's got to have good structured data to support it, as well as good structured content. Mm-hmm. You know, your data strategy, just as content needs a strategy, so is your data. And it's got to be structured. It's got to be clean. It's got to also mm-hmm. be able to tell the story that you need to tell in order for it to resonate. I mean, we always talk about building out dashboards for um, like like an Adobe Analytics dashboard that the business can use to see how their content's performing. But it's based on how the business needs to see that, right? Data needs to be able to tell a story that is meaningful. And within personalization, you've got to be able to have, uh, especially if you're going to have like a customer data platform sitting across multiple systems, that data has got to be clean. Um, So AI-based personalization, first-party personalization, personalization that is developing relevant and meaningful content, but don't be a creep about it. Don't do funky stuff with people's data um, Mm -hmm. and respect their privacy and and, and you're going to win. It's interesting how all these like different topics intersect with one another uh, between trustworthiness to and you know personalization, data security, 
Uh, speaking about, I'm glad you brought up third party cookies because that's another question I have things. So third party qu- cookies are coming to close, as you said, uh, you know, Google switching. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm happy for all the private, like, you know, hopefully it'll make things more private, but I just got an email from one of our vendors that we use for, I will not say their name, but like one of our presentation tools just said we need now need a, because of the switch uh, with Google Analytics, we are going to have to do a whole process, which I need to add that to my to-do list. But yeah, so going on that note, um, yeah, What? so with that coming to a close, wh- what do you think is going to happen in the personalization and the data space? It's going to get better. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the question. Next question. No, but um, in what ways will it get better? There, well, first of all, you're not going to have all this noise um, that mm-hmm. is unnecessarily... Uh, but I think it's going to allow businesses to focus more on first-party data initiatives, which mm-hmm. always gives you better information anyways. It's, it's going to look at not it's, – and it's also going to look at smart businesses out there. And this goes back to CX not having uh, – being stood up for success because they didn't – I'm not saying the, C, the customer experience officers and directors were the problem. They had budgets. They wanted to bring in these resources and talent, but they, they weren't given – they were told you're important, but they weren't given things to back that up, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of these companies. Um, but the qualitative aspects of from user insights and research and focus groups and uh, tree jack testing and all these different types of things that tell us things about the customer and why they're doing what they're doing, not just what um, mm-hmm. the hard analytics tells us the what. Right. Um, so we it's, it's going to get better because there's going to be more of an investment made on those types of things um, mm-hmm. that I just outlined. Uh, there's also going to be, I think companies are going to focus more on cleaning up their data um, and figuring out how to make that work more strategically and smarter for the companies. Mm-hmm. Do you see any issues that might potentially arise from this rise of first party data? Like, do you think people, there's going to be a whole issue between like, companies sharing their lists without uh oh, yeah. like <laughs> but it's going to backfire for those companies to do so mm-hmm. and there's going to be businesses that, that, that grow up to fill that void. i mean one of the great things about cookies when done well and when done in a customer-friendly manner respect to privacy um and there are so few doing that <laughs> um but one of the good things about that was was that you could look at customer behaviors and be able to do modeling and profile uh, profiling of customers, you know, even in a single instance on a website, for example, um, but in multiple multi instances. So it gave us a lot of really interesting consumer data. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I know the journey, customer journey orchestration applications out there, the customer data, pro- like all these are, are looking at customer behaviors, you know, on a site or in a particular ecosystem, but there was something to be said for having the ability to install something on somebody's machine and then track their behavior yeah. <laughs> for, for the UX and for the customer insight and for the ability to really understand what customer behavior was and what drove customers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, on the other I hand, just... I realized how creepy that sounded when I just said that. <laughs> I'm just worried. Like I have all these apps on my phone now for like different restaurants I go to and like that, you know, that's how they're collecting the first party data. Oh, yeah, now. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and it's great. Cause you know, I get, I get free Yoshinoya meals now, which is awesome. I love Yoshinoya, but yes. like, I'm wondering like, you know, when you go into app permissions, like what are they tracking my, you know, activity across different apps? What are they doing with that? 
Um, right. And yeah. unfortunately, the laws are not, I mean, Heather Snyder talks about this in her show about AI. And um, they never even went into the Met, by the way, when they created that that, plot, that, that app. I said, they were mm. able to look at the geo-positioning, I think, of the... Um, the artifacts and they had pictures of the artifacts and since they knew where they were, they were able wow. to create an app that when you go and you stand in front of the artifact, it gives you this, this, uh, this young, well, she's a teenager, I think, but this girl's story of, of heroin overdose, you know, standing. And I don't ever think they even went into the museum. Um, but so there's a whole thing about privacy and AI and wild West and, you know, people um, are, deep fakes. I mean, all of this stuff is an unchartered territory. And I would bring yeah. that also back to, to, um, you know, first party data, like technology is always ahead of the curve and pushing the envelope before there's legal structures and requirements and, and constraints put on there. I would be interested to see if there's like a, what's going on. And I should talk to some of my legal friends out there about this, but with the privacy laws right now and, and how mm -hmm. they're thinking through like, responding to some of this stuff yeah yeah and it that's it's the wild west i mean i, I took a i learned a little bit about in college and like it, the it's so complex i mean it's like so and yeah i mean when you uh getting into even more scarier technology since we're on the topic um what do you think how do you think ai is going to affect the content field this year um well here's the thing and I tell people this all the time, you know, it's not a silver bullet. And mm -hmm. if you're going to do it, invest wisely in it. But it also means you have to invest in resources. Marketing mm -hmm. and data scientists, key. Content strategy, key. If you think that you're going to, this is going to alleviate the need for resources. It's just like I interviewed Lois Cyril for Personalization Wrangler. And we talked about right. internationalization, localization, and, and machine uh, memory of language and machines that were able to help with translation. It does not alleviate the need for human resources. You still right. need that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, um, so invest in the data and, and the data analytics folks, the, the, the marketing scientists or the data scientists who can know what to do with that data, customer journey. Like all those people are critical with this mm -hmm. AI stuff because ad content strategists, um, because you need to be able to develop the rules and the guardrails um, and the objectives, you know, to help that technology uh, keep in check, but also know how to develop the right ontologies. Uh, well, you develop the ontology, but know how to develop the right uh, paths that it needs to be tracking against, you know? So mm -hmm. I think AI has its, its place. I mean, it's been incredible in personalization, but only when it has the elements in place that I just outlined. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And like, I, I, I mean, it's been, even at the company, it's been, what I've noticed, it's been good for, it, it is a good time saver. And in the Accenture report, um, you know, one of the optimistic things they said is that potentially these changes in technology with AI could lead to new art forms. I mean, the same way photography did. It's its yes. own, I mean, it's its own thing. Um, so that's my hope that what that AI will do. But like even at the company, you know, with using you know uh, you know using it for copywriting at Avenue CX, it's incredibly efficient. But it's not you can tell it's not written by a human being. So like we have the system in place where we you know it fills out a draft, but you know we have a human being go through with a fine tooth comb and actually make it sound engaging. And let me uh, give and you I an example with AI where like con and just this is just one. I mean, there's mm -hmm. multiple. 
but, and I talked to Paula Land about this, about auditing your content for personalization. Do you have enough content to support it? If you overlay a CDP, a customer data profile onto Mm -hmm. your ecosystem, one of the things that it can do is it can go in, it can scrape content and then look at what people are doing and then create like a recommendations rail or um, people who viewed this also viewed that, right? Recommendations mm-hmm. logic, recommendations used to do this. Mm-hmm. Now let's say that you have content and it's scraping it and it's pulling content from your product detail page. And then it's pulling your product image, it's pulling your product title or name, and then it's pulling your product description. Well, in one of those rails, you're going to get maybe less characters than you can tweet on, you know, and you're going to have a picture that's small thumbnail. And if you don't have uh, images that can dynamically generate, or you have products without even product imaging out there, um, that, that technology is going to pull that in. And what happens is the, the title or the product name, you don't, a lot of the companies won't have a product name short that they can message like Hewlett Packard does. They're smart about this stuff. They have short, medium, long messaging for for these types of form factors but um Mm -hmm. a lot of companies don't right and so they have this long product name that takes up most of the space and then they have like the first few words of the product description that gets pulled in that doesn't even it's not optimized for that space um so Mm -hmm. that's an instance also of where content is you don't have the content support this sort of thing Mm -hmm. and it's useless because what people see there is, <laughs> you know, a, a blurred image or distorted, a title that's like either truncated or whatnot, and then a description that's not written as optimized for short messaging, uh, you know, uh, form factors or short messaging uh, uh, elements. So that's mm-hmm. just an example of not having content to support things. Um and, and AI and things getting hosed, even when, when there's content that it's using. <clears throat> Sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead. I digress. <laughs> no, no, that that's all great. Um, uh, so yeah, we're getting close to the end uh, before. So I had two last questions. One, uh, is there any other trends in content or personalization in general that you didn't hit on that you think are going to be relevant in 2023? Just treat your customers with dignity or prospective, uh, your existing, your uh, hopeful, even those that are previous, treat them with dignity, treat them with respect, you know, show mm-hmm. them that you actually value those things. Um, and, and do that with content that's going to support that as well. You know, mm-hmm. like respect their intelligence, respect their time. You know, this is huge with like technical docs being able to be uh, people making an emphasis on support and service content, respect people's time. You know, that's mm-hmm. a, that's a form of respect. Um, especially now. And, and, you know, kindness is so underrated. Like mm-hmm. we can all stand to be, you know, kinder, but um, think about that with your, with your customers as well. Um, I think that it's, <laughs> we could all use a little more of it. Like, I don't know about you, but there's days where I walk out and I'm just like, I could use a hug right now because <laughs> the world just seems like it's all just like, you know, right. on the other hand, there is hope. There is hope. Yes. And, and Margot Bloomstein talks about that in her book. And we can't lose sight of that. We need to give thing, people reasons to be hopeful and reminders that these things are important. Yeah. Um, I think mm-hmm. that that would be like, hopefully kind of how I'd like to leave things. I mean, there's the interesting stuff going out there. I would like, I mean, years ago, I talked about with Ann Cassin, we wrote this article for Sapient on these moguls, uh, all women, Martha Stewart, Madonna, uh, Ariana Huffington being sort of like doing omni-channels so well. I mean, I love Martha Stewart. And I mean, for all intents and purposes, 
you go back to the 90s and I always call her the mother of Omnichannel for a reason. And she named her company Omnimedia for a reason. But I'd like to go and I would like to look at who some of the big influencers in Omnichannel are that don't, that aren't always recognized. You know, Mm -hmm. Martha wasn't always recognized as such. Um, Even though it was the most obvious kind of, in my book, like player out there. Um, You know, I'd like to go back out there and see, and particularly with women, I know they did this huge kind of ad week, did Drew Barrymore sort of nailing it in all, all, you know, in all content channels. And I think she's doing very well. Um, But I'd like to look at some of the folks out there who are, doing unique content contributions to maybe AI to maybe, um, you know, things like Heather did like to, to the app universe, to augmented reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I always look at art and its role. I go to film festivals like Provincetown film festival. We're going to thank God. It's back. Well, it was always on, but thank God that I can go back. Yeah. It's um, not, not all virtual. I remember those, that those two years of virtual film fests. If you want to stay up on the trends also, don't just look at like, all these reports. I mean, look at fashion, look at culture. We were in France during the, um, during the fashion week and it's like every storefront, like whether whether you're in Lyon or Avignon, like small, smaller towns. I mean, they all have homage to that. And, you know, so look at the trends going in, in, into fashion and and culture, look at the trends in film, look at the trends in music. Um, you know, the September edition of Vogue is always very fascinating to read. Uh, Oh, uh, consumer generated content. I mean, brands are opening themselves up more to that. Vogue did its photo booth where they're, it's, um, you know, they have that whole initiative. It's really interesting. Um, that was good on you, Anna Winter, because that, I, I think that they, that was done very well. Um, and I guess that's, I mean, I know I threw a lot of information at y'all, but yeah, I think that that is probably a good end cap um, for this well, I hope that uh, I hope this is a better end cap. What is your best advice to people, new people, uh, maybe young people who are trying, who want to join the content space or getting into it just this year? You know what? I I, I interviewed. Um, why am I blanking on her name? Technical docs professor. She's brilliant. Uh, Kim Sito. Yes, thank you. Yes. Sorry, Doctor Sito. I'm so sorry, Kim. Um, my head is like, we can edit that. We can, we can edit that out. We can fix that in post. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> yes. I interviewed Dr. Uh, Kim Sidow and uh, she heads up talk, uh, teaches on technical documentation, but other, many other things like content strategy related. Um, <clears throat> and she noted, you know, you have to have diversity. It's not enough just to know like a singular technology. So, you know, we all grew up like into this industry or, you know, people in my generation grew up in this industry, you know, wearing many different hats initially. And I think I would encourage you to get as much experience, uh, you know, look at like film. I mean, that, by the way, film and podcasts, huge, uh, you know, in terms of, of <laughs> content uh, that is very necessary and brands need to embrace those as well, by the way. Um, <clears throat> but look at these things, look at social media and, and its role and how it can uh, be part of content experiences and look at what people are doing, what companies are doing on TikTok, for example, which is yes, controversial, but yeah, look what their brands are doing there to tell stories. Look at, um, you know, read books on content strategy, obviously, but try to augment your experience by getting into something like, you know, if you can get an internship with a digital or interactive agency, or if you can like in publishing, 
you know, publishing is huge. And publishing models, by the way, when I say publishing, I mean book, magazine, uh, you know, newspaper, this sorts of things. Their models were always based on these performance-based models for uh, content strategy that we developed for digital. I mean, this stuff's been around for a while. <laughs> um, so look at trying to be, go, go, don't, don't just take a class, you know, uh, analytics, like no, like Adobe analytics, like take a class on that, for example. Um, but understand the breadth as well as the depth of, of your topic. Um, and, and be flexible and be open to learn because we're in a world now where, I mean, I have to constantly learn, you know, I thought that <laughs> hanging your hat up and saying like, I passed the bar for <laughs> content strategy or digital strategy. No, it doesn't work that way. It's like always yeah. staying ahead of the curve and um, read some of these reports that I'm talking about and, and subscribe to them. Look at Havas Meaningful Index, for example. Um, so you learn the acumen. So you learn the lexicon, but you also learn what people want and how they're engaging with brands and what they're thinking and what content experiences that they're hoping for. And, and this will help you in your knowledge and your quest for this. And it'll also make you um, more uh, empowered, you know? Um, so I would, that's what I would advise. Awesome. Well, I hope that ending works with you. Uh, uh, I think those are two, uh, both good and cap questions. But uh, yeah, we'll wrap things up there. Uh, thank you so much, Kevin, for coming onto my show. That is mine, <laughs> not yours. Um, no, but thank you for giving me this opportunity to host. And uh, yeah, I thought this was a great conversation. I think it is. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, oh, I'm excited about this. Before I let you go, uh, so where can people find you? And what should people uh, look out for coming from you? Right now I'm in a small coast of town on Cape Cod. <laughs> I am actually. Uh, at my house. Um, I would say. Um, His address is one, two, three, four, nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I would uh, LinkedIn, uh, Kevin P. Nichols. Um, KP Nichols on Twitter. Um help me out here <laughs> where else can they find uh, avenue cx.com yes avenue cx.com avenue cx on facebook uh we may or may not be on uh some other platforms too that might that rhyme with tinstagram and licklock um, <laughs> very but, soon we're uh, coming to the platform near you maybe. Uh, <laughs> yes wink wink um but uh what else so you have a website oh your new your personal website got backed up Yes, KevinPNichols.com. Thank you, Malware, for um, taking it hostage. <laughs> There's a fresh place in hell for hackers, too. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Probably. ones who turn small personal websites into um, uh, ad advertisement platforms for erectile dysfunction. And yes, that really happened. Wait, that I didn't. I didn't wait, did you tell me that part? I didn't remember that part. Oh, yes. well, anyway, we can talk about that off the off the podcast. But uh, well, good news. Point is, KP Nichols is back up. Thank God. Uh, hopefully, you'll have some more blogs coming up on that. Uh, and I think that is that everything. Oh, you got uh, yes, coming I'm coming up. out with a new white paper on customer journey content mapping. So stay tuned for yes. that. That's going to be yes. in a month or two. And second edition of your book is coming out sometime this year. Yes. All right. Well, next time, until next time, all things content audience, uh, I will not be on the next one, but I will be producing and Kevin will be your regular host as, as, uh, as normal. But thank you, Kevin. This is great. We'll talk. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Mark.
That was All Things Content with Kevin Nichols. Thanks for listening. Remember to leave a like and a comment if you're watching on YouTube, a five-star review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, or a follow if you're listening on Spotify. You can connect with Kevin on LinkedIn or follow him on Twitter at KP Nichols. You can also connect with his company by following Avenue CX on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook at Avenue CX. All Things Content with Kevin Nichols is a production of Kevin P. Nichols and Avenue CX. Thanks again for listening.